Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. It's Friday, and you know what that means. I'm bringing another conversation with someone in the hobby that matters. I think this one might motivate you. I got my man, Chris Costa, Costa Cards, Big Night Entertainment, Big Night Breaks, Causeway Card Show, and the list goes on. This man is hustling. He's bringing some value. We talk about the end-to-end consumer experience, some things he's working on, what he's building. I love his mindset. This is a conversation I'm really excited to share with all of you. If you like what I'm doing over here, hit that subscribe button, do all those things, leave a review. Most importantly, tell a damn friend that you're enjoying Stacking Slabs podcast. I'll shut up for now. Let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I'm fired up. I am joined by someone in the hobby who's doing a lot of different things. I've been an observer of his work. I think there's going to be a fun conversation. I certainly am going to learn something. I'm joined by Chris Costa, Costa Cards, Big Night Breaks. Causeway Card Show. Do you have anything else? I mean, what else are you working on? We got a lot going on, man. But first off, thank you for having me, Brad. I'm, I'm super pumped to be here. Um, love stacking slabs. I love everything that you put out. I love following your journey. So I, I think, you know, more so excited to have a conversation and just kind of dig in. Uh, but yeah, touching a lot of different things, hands in a lot of different places. You know, as far as the way our, our business or my company is, is broken down, we have a, a parent company that we built called Big Night Sports, um, which is part of Big Night Entertainment, which is the largest uh, nightlife and entertainment company in the country. So during the pandemic or early on in the pandemic, friends of mine who own Big Night, you know, approached me knowing that I was a lifelong collector and that I was kind of riding the wave of the hobby, so to speak, decided to build a business around this and kind of just give it a go. Um, and what that's turned into is Big Night Sports. And that includes, you know, big night breaks, Costa cards, uh, Causeway card show, some other projects in the works, including, uh, you know, several retail locations, brick and mortar locations, um, some exciting content projects that we're working on. Just a lot of really cool things that, you know, we're all super excited about over here and, and you know, definitely looking forward to digging into them today. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to have you on the show is just talk about like what goes into building a business and a hobby. So many people are out there um, as collectors enjoying it. Then there's other people who have an entrepreneurial mindset who are like, you know what? There's so much money being transacted on a day-to-day basis. I've got ideas. I'm trying to learn. So hopefully we can share some of your process and what you're going through in a day-to-day. And then obviously I want to get into some card conversation, talk about what you're into collecting that sort of thing, but maybe we start from the top and just like background on you, like experience in the hobby, like what brings you to this point where you're got your hand in a lot of different pots and trying to kind of grow this business. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been an interesting road. Um, like I said, I've been a collector my whole life, all the way back to, you know, being five, six, seven, ten 10 years old, you know, going to the local card shops, ripping packs in the backseat of my mother's car and, you know, seeing what I hit, if I hit anything, bringing it back, bringing it back into the shop and trying to trade it. And then, you know, riding my bike with my buddies and, you know, going after, you know, I was a big Nomar collector and, 
being from Boston and in the Boston area, you know, chased Manny Ramirez when he came to town. And like a lot of us, you know, the, the binders and the boxes, you know, were put away and started to collect dust, you know, through college. I went off to play baseball in college and, you know, chased that dream for a bit and then came back to the hobby around 2017 and was always a big Bowman guy. I was a big prospecting guy. I loved, you know, chasing prospects in, in, in the Bowman and Bowman Chrome and Bowman draft products. And then slowly but surely got introduced to the basketball market and then the football market. And I've always been a big, you know, football fan and basketball fan. So that was just kind of a natural progression for me. And that's really what it was. It was, I was a collector and I was just trying to build my collection and trade with my friends and go to trade shows and sell and buy. And and then you'll take a look and a step back at, at some point in around 2019, when things really started to heat up and maybe even go crazy right before the pandemic. And you're like, wow, this could really be a full-time business thing. The market's just strong, right? The market moves and I now know the market and I can kind of predict the market and predict cycles in the market and, you know, can enter baseball season knowing what, you know, generally what to expect and um, feeling really comfortable with things. And then the pandemic hits and it's like, ah, oh, I sunk all of this money, all this time, all this effort, and it's just going to take it all away, isn't it? Well, sure enough, we all saw it was the absolute opposite of that. And things exploded. Like it, we were on this trajectory and it just went completely vertical. And friends of mine, uh, like I said earlier, own Big Night. Um, and the pandemic just shut the whole business down. 17 venues, 17 nightclubs, restaurants, bars, venues. And, you know, Randy, my now partner, and I were on the beach early, early on in the pandemic. And we were talking about, it. he's like, you should start a business. And I was like, yeah, you know, it'd be nice. I, I have a career. I, you know, things are going well, but yeah, I certainly, this could be a full-time gig. And one conversation turned into another and to another. And then it became a, Hey, let's do a business together. And that's where big night breaks start. And then big night breaks, having the success that it's had, and, you know, us putting our, our wrapper around it and creating a different experience, an experience I think the market was missing, kind of led to Big Night Break success. And then we realized as, you know, this little side project that we put together was a viable business. And then, you know, it kind of opened the eyes of, uh, you know, our partners to what this market really has to offer and how viable different businesses within this market can be. And that's where Big Night Sports was born and all these other ventures have kind of sprouted up. That's amazing. I appreciate you unpacking all of that. We spent a second right before we hit record and I learned a little bit about you like before you've always been into cards, but professionally jumping into cards, um, just working in just the technology and software space, a space that I operate in. And I think a space that I think a lot about just how important it is to build and develop trust with your, your customers and everyone's got the same product, right? It's all commodities, right? People really are the differentiator. I want to learn maybe a little bit about how you take your experience on the software side and maybe infuse it into what you're doing with this current opportunity. And just, I know trust is critical in sports cards. That's one thing that I've learned. Like you got to be transparent. You got to be trustworthy. I'd love to learn like maybe how you kind of take some of your old experiences and apply them to the, to this new opportunity. It's a good point. And I think, you know, Ironically, my career and everything I've done in my career, and, and you know, I've spent the last decade as a, a field sales rep for software organizations, whether they be large tech companies uh, like Oracle or you know startups and, and taking startups public and and all of that fun stuff. 
I've spent my entire career, you know, in boardrooms, in front of large groups, in front of large groups of people, you know, selling products, services, solutions, et cetera. And not only pitching and getting in front and putting the show on, but also building trust and developing relationships with folks and and then negotiating large deals, you know, six figure, seven figure, eight figure, 10 figure deals, and being able to be comfortable in that negotiation setting. And it's so ironic because you look back, it's like, damn, everything I've been doing, I'm still doing, right? I get in front of people and I put on the show with big night breaks or, you know, with at our at our trade shows when I'm on stage or um, you know, building content or doing interviews like these, um, you know, that skill set or that experience, you know, I feel comfortable in those settings. But then, you know, you get to the dealer table at the national and you're you know, negotiating six-figure deals. And I feel comfortable in that setting because of my background. And then I'm developing relationships with people like yourself and others in the hobby where, you know, that relationship and th- that network and that trust is so important. You know, having a circle of people you know, I think many of us or many of the people, many people in the hobby, many dealers, many collectors can all relate to having a, a close-knit circle, right? You have your group text or group texts, and you have your five, six, seven guys that you're super tight with, as do I and as does everybody else. And building those relationships, and you know, that's that's super key. Um, because having people you can throw ideas off of, having people you can bounce ideas off or ask values on, hey, what do you think this is worth? Or you know anybody with this card, that's all super key to to the dealer side of this business. So it is it is interesting because everything I've done professionally um, kind of ties back into this crazy industry that we operate in. Um, and then, you know, not to mention, I spent my entire life, uh, you know, growing up in radio and television studios. My father's a television and radio personality in New England, and I just kind of spent my life in the studio and working for him and interning at the radio station and as a production assistant at the television studio. I went to school for TV, radio broadcasting. So it's funny how somehow the world of sports cards and the world of sports cards that we live in has kind of tied this bo- this bow around uh, everything that we've been doing. Totally. No, I love it. What you're doing, obviously, I got a chance to meet you for a second at the Nationals. You're behind the dealer table selling nice, big cards. You've got the break thing going on. You've got the card show that I want to dig into here in a second. Talk about your like allocation of time, manage- managing all those priorities. Like That's a lot. Like How are you making that all happen? Yeah, it is a lot and it baby steps. Uh, but at a lot of times you feel like you're taking gigantic steps and then you're drinking from a fire hose. And then, you know, sometimes it's overwhelming, but it all comes down to time management. You have to look at your days much like you do professionally in a sales setting or in a customer service setting or, you know, any, any professional setting, you have to break up your day and allocate it to certain things that you want to accomplish. Right. So always start the day with a to-do list. Um, and I try to break that out business to business. Um, and then I try to, you know, manage my time based around the calls and the, the meetings that I have scheduled for that day. And you, there's a lot of late nights, a lot of sleepless nights. There's a lot of early mornings. But I think at the end of the day, when you look at everything that we're doing, you kind of just have to take and, and be flexible and be able to adjust on the fly. You know, I, I, I jump into the studio and I get on an interview and I'm cost of cards, right? But I just get out of an allocation meeting with, you know, some of our distributors for big night breaks. And then yesterday, I'm on site at one of our new retail locations working with architects on, you know, what should this look like or what, what material should we be using for the floor? Or, you know, what's the dimensions on here? or What are the display cases that we want to order? And then I'm on a call, you know, talking about a, a television project that we're working on. There's just so many different things taking place throughout the day that you have to adapt. And being able to manage that or put some sort of rigidity around it is a nice to have, but it's not always possible. 
So I think you have to take one day at a time. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges that I've had is being a breaker and, you know, really being the quote unquote face of big night breaks. My nights are locked up, you know, 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. Um, so I'm, I'm offline because I'm online, ironically. So after that, I try to get some sleep and then just get into it as early as I can the next morning and, and knock things off until I get locked up again the next night on a, on a live stream. I love it. What does a week like a couple of weeks ago, I guess, do for someone who's investing your livelihood and growing a business in this hobby where you've got all this madness and all this news coming at you, changes that are happening in the hobby, whether it's, you know, the fanatics news or whether it's, you know, PWCC, eBay stuff, like all this news, record highs on Golden. How do you take all this information in as someone who's kind of building a brand and, and trying to keep some momentum and uh, add value to the hobby? Like, how do you take it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, coming from the world that we come from in the, in the startup space and the big tech space and the technology space, like we're used to big deals, big acquisitions, big shifts, big changes, a company you work for gets acquired or a company you're working with gets acquired or a company you're selling to, you know, gets sold off or goes, you know, public. Those things happen. And I think what it means for the hobby is that we're making this huge leap into real big business, right? This hobby, and I've said this elsewhere, like this hobby, even though we love to call it the hobby and that's a great name, it is not a hobby. It is a full-blown industry. It is a category, a segment, a market. It's its own beast and it's a multi-billion dollar beast. And smart people with big pockets are getting involved. And I'm never upset when I see that or hear of that because that just means we're on our way to becoming the legitimate industry that we all know we can be, you know, with really smart people making intelligent business decisions and, and investing their money in our space. Now, does that mean that we have to adjust and, and to, you know, evolve and to pivot? Sure. Right. Now, the fanatics deal is interesting. And I, you know, I try not to pass judgment on until all of the chips have fallen. Right. Because a deal like that, a, a large business deal like that, uh, worth hundreds and hundreds, if not billions of dollars, typically takes a while to completely flush itself out. You know, the original or initial news is not always the final outcome. So does it mean that there's a, you know, they're positioning themselves to acquire a manufacturer? Are they trying to acquire multiple manufacturers? Are they trying to actually become a manufacturer? That all remains to be seen. So I think we have to take every announcement that we get in stride and just try to forecast what the next five years are going to look like from that, from what we're getting at that point in time. But I think it's exciting. I get excited when these deals happen. I get excited when, you know, Ruben decides to put hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars into this industry. I get excited when I see investors or, you know, celebrities or public personalities investing millions of dollars into actual cards, right? That excites me. So yeah, we have to pivot. Yeah. Could it mean that the landscape of allocation and distribution might change? Maybe. Does it mean that the landscape of actual brand name cards is going to change. Maybe. There's also a potential scenario where we get Topps Chrome Basketball, Topps Chrome Football, and Bowman Chrome Baseball, and Bowman Chrome Basketball, and Flawless Baseball, everything licensed, and we're all happy, right? There's so many different potential outcomes. So it's hard to kind of put your finger on what I think the end result is going to be. All I know is that smart people are putting their money into our category, and you can't really be upset about that, you know? 100%. And, I, and on the hobby front, it, this, is, this is a market. This is big business. I mean, just look at the deals, look at the Brady that sold for over $2 million. It's, 
it's it's wild. And I think that what I've been thinking a lot about is just the, as the hobby expands and this market expands, there are different interests and there are different flavors of the hobby. So the thing that I've been thinking a lot about is like, how as an industry can we begin to seg- segment to better s- solution for the different desires and interests that are coming in? And I think you've got a portfolio of products, whether it's, you know, the breaking or the card show or face-to-face dealing. Like, how do you think about this in terms of just, there are some people that I'm sure are would fill up your brakes every night, but those probably aren't the same people that would go out and, you know, spend a hundred thousand dollars on a card. Like that's something that I think we need to be better in the hobby is like segment a little better and solution for the different needs. I'd love to know since you've got a lot going on, like how you are thinking about that. Yeah. I always go back to like, what is the end to end experience for the consumer look like? And for us, when we put together our portfolio or our brands, we want to be able to offer consumers uh, access to every pocket that this industry has to offer, right? And I think that that's also partly us looking to diversify, right? If breaking changes or breaking gets hit with some sort of a regulation, or if allocation changes and breaking becomes uh, harder to do, well, we've now got five other ventures in this industry that we focused on over the last two, three years that you know will help us continue to do business. Um, and that's just smart business across the board, diversifying yourself and not putting all of your eggs in one basket, especially in a, you know, we're calling it an industry and a market and big business, but we're not regulated. And, you know, there, who knows, right? So there's a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of what could be's in the next few years. Um, so having diversification and being able to offer a number of different services, right, which I think that's what we do to your consumer is super important, right? And if somebody wants to open a box of cards, they can break with big night breaks, or they could come into one of our retail locations. If somebody wants to buy a high-end graded card, we offer that. If somebody wants to trade a high-end graded card, we offer that. If they want to come into one of our retail locations and get one of their cards that they opened with us graded, we'll offer that. If they want to consign one of the cards that we get graded for them. We'll offer that. Uh, if they want to store their cards at one of our locations, we'll offer that. Then we also are in the content space and building content and putting content out there and trying to build the exposure that this industry deserves. So I think by touching every little corner and every little pocket that this big picture industry slash hobby offers is super important. Um, and I think that goes back to like my experience in the software spaces. I've always preferred to be behind and push and sell end-to-end solutions. And I think that's what we're trying to build here is an end-to-end experience for the consumer where they can interact with Big Night wherever they need to in this space without any gap. This, like what you're building and developing makes so much sense to me. And maybe it's because, you know, just hearing you talk, this is the world that I live in day-to-day. And I, I've never, I haven't yet really heard of someone I'm sure there's someone out there and I'm sure you know someone else out there doing something like you and investing so much time in each of these areas. I think it's awesome. And I think you're ahead of the curb on kind of where the hobby is going or where the industry is going. Maybe we spend a little bit of time talking about the Causeway card show. The feedback that I've gotten, so I I saw the Instagram photos, I saw the YouTube videos. I like to talk to people who go to these shows and just catch a vibe, see what they have to say. And the 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 reaction that I get is it feels not like you're in a dungeon in some like Legion Hall basement where no one's talking. Like people are like, there's a vibe to this show. There's music. It feels like an experience, um, which is awesome. Like 
when I heard that feedback, I was like, I got to get out. I got to go to one of those shows. So maybe like talk about the event and talk about like what you're trying to pull off that might be a little different or outside the box and what's currently happening. And I know you, you got one coming up in October. So if you want to talk about that. Yeah, of course. So I think, well, first off, you know, the VFW Legion Highway Rotary Club auditorium style card shows that we've all grown up around are important. And I think that they'll always be part of the hobby. And there's a there's an element of those that I actually enjoy and love when you walk into a VFW and, you know, there's 50 tables laid out and there's the guy with vintage that only does shows and has been for the last 40 years. And then, you know, you've got just a local community coming together, 7 a.m., people trying to do deals at the lower end, right? As far as like lower scale, that's that's important. That's the backbone of what we are and that's where we come from. So that should never be discredited. What we do for a living at Big Night, what Big Night does for a living better than anybody in the country is provide entertainment and experience and building an experience around whatever it is that we do, whether it's the Grand, which is our nightclub in the uh, in the seaport in Boston, which is a top nightclub in the world uh, and has been voted such the last five years, uh, whether it's Guy Fee, one of our Guy Fietti locations, whether it's one of our high-end bowling alleys at Foxwoods Casino, whether it's Scorpion Bar at Gillette Stadium, no matter what we do, we do it with entertainment and experience and community as kind of the wrapper around it. And I think when we looked at entering this market and when we built Big Night Breaks and then when we saw the trade shows that were happening, and there's no secret, trade shows have been popping up left and right around us, right? When that's happening and we're sitting here like, we have to do this. This is like, there's a no brainer. This is what we do. We put on shows, we bring in talent, we, we build an experience and we do things better and different than anyone else. And I'm not saying we're better than anyone else. I just think that from the experience that we are able to offer with the resources that we have as a big business, right? Big Night is a $150 plus million company. This is what it is. And we have a marketing department. We have an operations department. We have a videography department and an audio department. And we're able to pull off things that not a lot of people in this industry, at least yet, are able to pull off. So why not? And that's really where the Causeway show came about. Um, you know, so we already have two locations at the Boston Garden, Big Night Live and Guy Fieri's Tequila Cochina. And Big Night Live is a huge 2,000 plus person concert hall that picture like a house of blues on steroids. It's high end, high class, big, wide open. And you look at it, and you're like, hard show heaven, right? You look at this room and in my head, being a collector, I'm like, this is it. Like, talk about a card show space. Let's do it. And we do it. And we did it. And it was awesome. And it turned out great. The first show was an amazing success. It was a one-day show, local, but high-end. We got the New York crowd, the Connecticut crowd, the Rhode Island crowd, and then, you know, some fly-ins sprinkled in. And it just went well. We get some local celebrities, some athletes, uh, we do, we open boxes on stage, you know, with athletes, like we chase taco fall rookies with taco fall. And we opened 2019 contenders with chase one of of the Patriots. And the first show was a, a huge success. So then we tried to grow it. Right. And, uh, the second show was a two day show, uh, where we really tried to appeal to more people, more of the dealers around the country. Hey, give them a reason to fly in and build experiences around the show. We had 50 cent in town and we had 50 cent at grand. So after the card show, people could go to the grand five minutes away and, you know, watch 50 cent perform, or they could go to memoir, which is one of our nightclubs at the encore casino. And they could watch, you know, Borges or DJ Costa perform. And 
we tried to give people some direction, right? Hey, you're visiting Boston. Here's some things you can do. Go check out 50 Cent. Go check out the memo. Go check out Memoir. Go to Empire for dinner. Here's 10% off. Go to Mystique for dinner. Go to Scorpion Bar or Red Lantern. And that was our you know, approach at let's build this into more than just, hey, wake up, go to the car show, go home. Let's do something. Like you're in town, enjoy the city, enjoy yourself, see what we're all about. So that's what the second show was about. And I think what we realized was Big Night Live, we've hit our max as far as space. Um, it's an amazing space. It's super high end. Uh, but it's really suited for 100 tables, 100 vendors. And then everything else we do around it is fantastic. But I think it's really best suited for a one-day show um, and making it the most incredible high-end one-day show you can to the point where it's still worth it to fly in, but it's still going to cater to the higher end, the bigger dealers in the region, in the New England region. And then you'll get you know, the big names in the hobby flying. Um, and we'll build a, you know, it'll be a Saturday show. We'll do events Friday night and we'll do events Saturday night. And you can still make a weekend out of it and a weekend trip to Boston. Anything beyond that, um, as far as bigger shows that we are working on, um, will be rebranded. It will have a different name because Causeway in the Causeway street is the street that the garden is on. And that's what it should be called. And that's what it'll always be called. The Causeway show will be our one day show at the Boston garden. It will happen every quarter. We've decided that that's official. And then beyond that, any bigger shows that we do in any other locations out of state at flagship locations, which, you know, hint, hint, those will be announced and and be handled individually. And listening to you talk about it, all I kept thinking about was you are someone, an individual with this who's highly focused on not only creating an experience, but you understand the type of individual or dealer that you're going to attract with sure. something like this. You said high end. Like I'm thinking about this from like put on my software cap. It's like this is like a field marketing event. And you're creating an experience after the, the fact. People go dealer set up shows and they go have a nice dinner and then go see uh 50 cent, you know, do uh in the club a couple of times. Um <laughs> those are those are the types of things that dealers, individuals going to the show, they're not gonna, they're not gonna forget. Those are those are memories. That to me jives well with like how I think about just like go to market marketing, bringing people in, winning their hearts, winning their minds, and then having them come back for more again. Have you found that like you've got a certain number of individuals that understand what you're doing? They're making money at the show. They, they understand like the plays you're running and they're along for it. Or do you feel like, so you've got that, but then do you feel like there's room for growth too um, in terms of like just continued awareness around, hey, you might be a dealer that isn't in the Boston or New England area. You might be across the country, but they see what you're doing over there and they they feel like this might be something that they're interested in and they can go bring their cards and make a little bit of money. Yeah, 100%. So I think what we found is that, you know, because of the nature of our show and because of the, the nature of the venue and because of the experience that we put around it, we do attract a higher end inventory overall. Now, we span the entire spectrum. We have low end, mid end, high end, rock, rated, vintage, modern, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Funko Pops. It's all there. But if you compare us to a local show, you know, you're going to have more six figure cards at our show than you will at a local VFW show. It's just the way it's, it's shaken itself out. Um, and I think over time, and, and I think our last show was a really good um, opportunity for us to spread the word, right? There was a really good turnout. We had a lot of national dealers, a lot of well-known names with good followings. And 
they're on their Instagram stories and they're on, they're building Instagram stories, standing at the grand and 50 cents on stage, or they're at memoir and, you know, they're in a table with us and, you know, the crowd's going crazy or they're going to Encore Casino three minutes away, or they're walking into our venue and the Boston Garden is right in front of them. Like it's, it is impressive. And, uh, you know, we're very fortunate to have the resources and the locations and the venues that we have. And by itself, it markets itself in a way. The experience markets itself. You get the right people there with the right followings. Word spread, right? Social media is is what's changed the world over the last decade. Is you have the ability to spread the word so much quicker than you ever could with so much less investment than you ever could. So, yeah, I think it's a no brainer. The second show, our most recent show, really kind of made a, a a bang. You know, I went to the Dallas show after that, and I was at the National after that, and Everybody knows now about the Boston show to an extent. Um, and people want to come. And even if it's a one-day show, people want to come because, hell, who doesn't want to do a full day of cards and go hard at the table, right? Who doesn't want to go hard for a day and then enjoy your weekend, right? Come in on Friday night, do a quick trade night, go to one of our restaurants, wake up Saturday, do the show, make some deals, sell some cards, buy some inventory, go out Saturday night, and then like, Grab brunch on Sunday, enjoy yourself, take it easy and go home. You know, like that seems nice to me. It seems worthwhile to fly in. It certainly is worthwhile for anybody locally to be at. I think we've proven that. But, uh, you know, there's the three day, four day shows are one thing. They're important. The national is important. Some of the stuff that we're working on is going to be important. But a really cool high end local show at a really nice venue just feels like there's nothing out there like it. I love it. This is uh, something that I'm about and something that I need to experience. Hopefully everyone out there is um, getting some ideas on uh, how this fits in with their plans and fall schedule. Maybe we, we put your dealer hat on. I'd love to know time spent, national, Dallas, other shows. Like, What are you hearing from the market? What are you learning from the market right now just in those negotiations, conversations? that might be a little different than this time last year. Like what are people interested in? What, 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 uh, what have you been selling a lot of? Yeah. Well, I think this market is, isn't always will be cyclical and the cycles fall very similar patterns every year. Now I think what happened this past year was just an ex- extreme version of what we've seen over the years. And I think that has a lot to do with pop counts and grading and production and base prism and people going nuts for the base tops and the base prism stuff. Um, so we saw a correction that we always see, but we saw it in a very drastic fashion. So it happened at the right time. It just happened aggressively, right? You know, coming out of basketball season or ha- at the halfway point of basketball season, when the playoff picture starts to become very clear, okay, so the, the teams that definitely aren't making it, the players on those teams start to lag and their prices start to drop. And then a team gets even further out of the playoff picture and their prices drop some more. And then all of a sudden, another team gets eliminated. and the star player on that team's prices drop. Then the Lakers get, get eliminated and LeBron stuff drops. And then all of a sudden you've got two teams left. And basketball is driving this market and this whole dip that we're seeing happens in front of our eyes. And then things reset. And then football's on the horizon. And then Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Tom Brady and all of these people that we forgot about that we're planning on drafting on our fantasy teams, that we're planning on watching on Sunday, their cards start to heat up a little bit. And it's like, oh, okay, here we are. The market's, it's still alive. Like we thought we were in trouble. This was bad. Things were ugly, you know, three months ago, four months ago. And then all of a sudden, 
here we are and Mahomes stuff's picking up and Josh Allen stuff and Joe Burrow and Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes. It's, it's really nice to see. And then like always football season starts. And then what's next basketball seasons around the corner and people are getting hungry and foaming at the mouth for Luca and Trey and LeBron. And so the cycle remains. And I think we're seeing right now, especially behind the table at the local shows at the national shows, the market is healthy. The market is alive. The market's moving and it's moving in the right direction. And it's it's behaving in the same way it's always behaved. I think what we just saw was an extreme version of what we normally see where we kind of took a step back and said, oh, my God, there's how many Prism 10 Lucas? Come on. And it's it's good. What happened is good because it's not sustainable what we were looking at. Luka Doncic based Prism PSA 10s at $2,800 a pop is not good. That is not a good scenario for anybody because there's no entry point to the market. How do you get new people into the hobby when they can't even afford a base prism? So what happened is good. It set us up for, I think, another healthier, more realistic run um, where the market will be a little bit more predictable, which I think is healthy. So that's what I'm seeing. At the tables, people right now, just because of where we're at in the season, Tom Brady is, is scalding hot. Patrick Mahomes stuff is hot. Uh, and now Luca's starting to heat up and Trey and, you know, Giannis and Kawhi. So I think we're in a good spot, man. And I think overall, what I'm seeing behind the table is super healthy. I think people are spending money. Um, you know, we did a lot of sales in Chicago. We did a lot of sales at a local show this weekend. Um, so people are buying. And I think that's always going to be the lifeblood of the hobby is are people spending their money on these cards or is it just a trade fest? I'm seeing money come in. Do you, do you follow that? you've mentioned cycles and how it works. Do you have a program or a system or instinct or just been in the hobby for so many years, you just get how it works where you're making sure that you have the right inventory at the right time. So when people comes up, come up to your table and ask you for Baker Mayfield card, uh, you're, you're prepared to have that conversation. Is that something that's just like instinct with you at this point? Yeah. I think when you go into specific times of the year, you target certain things. Are you always going to have a perfect blend of inventory? No, but you want to stay diversified. You want to have a, a sense of who you want to target or who you think your customer base or what is your plan for the, the show schedule? Where are you going to be? Is it local shows? Are you traveling? Do you have a retail store? Where is your retail store? I'm going to have a store in Boston. I need Jason Tatum. I need Tom Brady. I need Jalen Brown. You know, I need these players because that's the local market. However, I also travel to the national and travel to Miami and travel to Tampa and travel to Dallas. So I also have to have a diverse inventory, a show inventory, if you will. So yes, uh, over the years and by working every day with sports cards, you develop an understanding of what the market is, what's going to be happening and who you should have, right? So right now, I... You know, I think it's important to be buying players like Luca and Trey and Giannis and, you know, guys who are just automatically going to have some sort of a, a ride, right? Whether it's in price or popularity, right? Price is one thing. Yeah, everybody wants to be able to buy and, and plan. I'm not saying buy Luca because you're guaranteed a return. I'm saying buy Luca because you're guaranteed to have people interested in Luca. Um, and that usually means the price will do what it does. Um, so, because we're entering uh, football season, we're right on the cusp of some risk coming in now because guys are actually going to hit the field. And, you know, we, we live in a world of hype. 
you know, it's, it's never a good thing when a player actually goes out there and throws three picks, right? In our head, that doesn't exist. The reality of Josh Allen throwing three interceptions in a game doesn't exist, but it could happen. And when it does, it's not good for prices. So, you know, I try to, you know, I'm, I'm okay with risk and I'm okay with being aggressive and I'm okay with holding some players, but I do like to diversify. So I'll start taking some of my money out of football and into basketball and we'll play the hype game again, right? Is Luca going to drop 50 in game one? No, but his market's going to play like it is. So um, that's, that's where I like to operate is kind of playing ahead of the game, but also maintaining some inventory that, you know, I'm happy to take a risk on. That's smart. I love it. Maybe we close it out with this is just you as the collector, like what's in your PC? What, uh, if you're looking to buy cards and hold, who are they? What types of cards? I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, ironic. A lot of people love him, but Tom Brady is my guy. I grew up in Boston. I, he was the, my entire childhood was Tom Brady on Sundays and, um, just an amazing athlete, the greatest quarterback of all time. A lot of people might dispute that, but I, I firmly think he is. And, you know, that's my guy. So I'm always targeting Tom Brady and plus I'm in New England, right? So it's just a smart business decision for me to have Tom Brady inventory on hand. What's, what's unique is, and, and we talked about this earlier is, how do I manage my time and how do I manage my time across all these different businesses? Well, one of the decisions I made early on was that my PC had to really shrink. And one of the, the decisions I made was to shrink my PC to five cards or less. And that was you know, a process that was painstaking. And I moved however many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cards I had into this business, cost of cards, right? So our showcases are, they belong to my business. I right now have three cards in my personal collection. I have a Tom Brady Bowman Chrome Refractor. I have a Tom Brady Contenders Autograph. And I have a Tiger Woods SP Authentic Autograph. Those are my three cards. They're three of my favorite cards of all time. They're two of my absolute favorite athletes of all time, Tiger and Brady. And that's what my PC is right now. I did have the Curry Refractor. I moved it this weekend in a trade four that was part of the deal for the contenders, Brady. That's another card that I absolutely love that, that curry refractor. And I think when it comes down to it, if I had to pick the type of card that I really love and that I, I think is most important to me, it's thinking of how hard it was to pull a refractor out of Bowman Chrome or how hard it was to pull a refractor out of Topps Chrome in 2009. That sticks with me. This card was so hard to find. Not only was it hard to find, it was hard to find centered. It's hard to find you know, without surface issues. And it's, you know, in Bowman Chrome, the refractor is the only parallel. Um, and it, as far as 2000 Bowman is concerned, Bowman Chrome had no color parallels, right? So Bowman Chrome is Brady's only Chrome stock rookie. And the refractor is his only Chrome stock parallel rookie. That just is a recipe for glory. That thing is scary, sick, as far as everything in the hobby is concerned in my eyes. Um, so that's why that card's important to me. And, and the same with the curry, right? There's really only two parallels. Chrome is not, it, you know, there's no tops Chrome. It was tops and Chrome was an insert number to 999. And then the refractors number to 500. But it was just, it was such a different game back then. That's what sticks out to me. So those are some cards that are super important to me. And like I said, the PC has, has come down in size. So I'm able to manage it without freaking out about following market trends and what cards, who's, and, this, you know, if I sell this card, it's part of it. Ma, it's that's a mess. I don't want to be in that game. So I want a few cards that I can stash away that I love, that I like to look at, 
And then other than that, I can focus on the business. If you're going to have a small PC, that those aren't bad cards to have in it. That's for damn sure. Uh, maybe we close, close it out with this. Talk a lot about change. Talk a lot about movement, adaptability, just things that are happening, d- diversifying what you're doing. Change is always going to be happening. I think it's going to pick up even more now than ever. Next week, next month, there'll be a new acquisition, a new story. Maybe as someone who kind of sounds like you thrive in change and in this environment, what sort of advice or feedback do you have for anyone listening, collectors, dealers, people investing, people running businesses in the hobby, like advice that you have from your experiences? Yeah, I think, you know, first off, from a collector's perspective, if you're a collector in this world and you're a collector in this crazy moving industry, like collect what you like, buy what you like, collect what you like, don't get caught up in, you know, trying to chase a market trend or, you know, if you're a true collector, buy what you like. And, you know, whether that's, you know, chasing a parallel set or a player that you loved growing up, um, you know, try to stay in your lane. You know, if you're running this as a business and you're investing, well, then, you know, do so, you know, with your own discretion, right? And I think when you look at things from a market perspective, keep a very tight circle. And that's, that's the number one advice I would have in this market. Keep a tight circle of people that you trust and that you've developed good relationships with. And it goes back to the beginning of this show is relationships are so important. And so is trust. And trust and relationships in this industry will get you very far. And making sure that the people that you have in your circle in this industry are ones that you trust and that you can rely on, especially in times of change, super important. So, you know, make sure to treat those people in that circle right, do right by them, take care of them in the deals that you do, um, help them out, give them advice when they ask, be responsive. That's what I think is super important to me. And it's gotten me a long way. You know, some of the guys that I run in my circle, you know, Kevin DeCaptain is a really good friend. Uh, MC Sports Cards, Mike, one of my closest friends in this industry. You know, Matt Fang, Matt's Sports Cards, and, you know, Granite State and Moody, the guys that we keep in our local circle. And then, you know, that's kind of turned into more of a, a national circle are really important to me. And especially in a time of change, because when all these things are happening around you, you've got to have people you can sound, sound off with and got to have people you can ask their advice on and get different perspectives and get different lenses. So, relationships and trust, man. Love it. And and learn from those people. I've learned a shit ton from Kevin just in my, you know, year, you know, 18 months of knowing him. So man, I appreciate you jumping on. I love what you're doing. I love how you're trying to push the hobby forward through all of your various platforms. Everyone go check out what Chris is doing. Costa cards on IG. You can check out all this other stuff. I'll put it in the show notes. Brother, thanks so much for your time. Keep up the good work, man. Appreciate you. Brett, appreciate you, man. Keep it up, man. I'll talk to you soon, all right? You know, sometimes I leave these conversations and my mind just spins on the possibility and the opportunity ahead. Chris is certainly someone who's seizing that opportunity and thinking strategically about his customer in mind, and I love that. Go check out his stuff. Are you free in October? Hit the Causeway Card Show. I've heard a ton of good things, and today... A lot of good validation of the man behind the scenes making it happen. Go follow his stuff. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. More stacking slabs next week. You already know.